0: This is a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW
1: and welcome back to Vancouver consumer this Saturday afternoon I'm Sterling Fox and it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program Sherry McMillan the CEO of McMillan estate planning Sherry welcome to the program good to talk to you again.
0: Yes, thank you very much, Sterling.
1: It's lovely to have you with us, and you've made, uh, you're based in Calgary, and you work and with a client base that's literally all over the world, offices in London, in the United States, here in Canada, Calgary is home base, but you uh, have made quite a few trips to the West Coast recently to conduct these seminars, and we'll tell our listeners in a few minutes about the next opportunity to have a few hours with Sherry McMillan, but you've done enough of them now here in Vancouver that you're getting to know Vancouver people, and What's uh, sort of our priorities are. So, after you make your presentation at the Macmillan Estate Planning Seminar, Sherry, and you say, okay, that's my part, how about yours? Any questions? What do Vancouver people want to know after they've heard your pitch?
0: Well, it's an excellent question, and I find it really interesting because of the privilege I have of working all over the world. So, whether I'm working in London or Hong Kong or Vancouver, what ends up happening is we have some commonalities as families when we create wealth. And we have some concerns, and so I'm finding Vancouver is not different in that regard. And one of the most pressing concerns of families when they're designing and creating an estate, of course, Sterling, is they don't want to give away or pay too much income tax on their estate here, when they here. transfer it,
1: <laughs> and, and none of us do, Sherry. But the more the more money you have to protect, obviously, the more keenly aware you're going to be of of your tax situation.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, it's one thing to to owe five thousand, but if you owe five million, you do look at it a little differently. Different
1: ball game, you betcha.
0: Yeah. So, you know. It's a very challenging industry today because what's happened is our families have become international as well. So it's really common, of course, that families do well in business and then they buy their property down south and winter away. And so they have multiple estates as well. And then they have the concern of how is each particular pool of assets going to be taxed in every jurisdiction. Of course. And we know how reliable and stable our governments are. And how that nothing ever changes there. Oh no! <laughs> so what ends up happening, of course, is it's hard to keep up for the average person. Of how will these particular changes impact me and my affairs that I've designed? And you know, we always say in our industry, Sterling, that we're actually only ever about three years old because. By the time we learn the new legislation, they're bringing out new legislation again. Of course. So we're always immature. That's the fun part.
1: I was going to ask you, again, just a a kind of a curiosity question, because there are on the planet legendary locations, Sherry, known as tax havens or tax shelters. One thinks of the Cayman Islands, for example. Do people really Uh, take their money into offshore locations like that. Is that a practical thing to do uh, if if you have uh, sufficient funds that you can move them around the world? Do people go for tax havens like that?
0: Well, they do, but they have to legitimately qualify as the problem. Uh So the challenge is this. If we're a Canadian family and our children were reared here, the likelihood is you're going to land here eventually because the grandchildren are here. Yep. And so grandma and grandpa traditionally want to live near or somewhat near the grandchildren. And then there's the other worry is, as we're aging, because we're living so long, what about our health care? So there's these two poles that keep us grounded in a particular jurisdiction where we've built our history.
1: Sure. So and, but- I'm sorry, and, and with respect to health care... Uh, you and I have had this conversation on this program before, and I think we need to take a second and remind our CKNW listeners, Sherry, that the health care rules seem a little more simple on the surface of things than they do. Most Canadians think, for example, that if you're here in the Great White North for 181 days of the year, you're covered for health care and nothing is at risk, and it's just not that simple, is it?
0: No, it, it isn't that simple because you have to actually read the legislation in the province you live because each uh, jurisdiction has their own health care system. So BC has their own, Alberta has their own. What can actually happen often is depending on where your longest residency is, is actually where your health care is. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending too much time in the United States, for example, you might by accident before going your health care in the province you live without really an understanding that you're doing that. So the great part is there are solutions, though, Sterling. So, you know, I I really am encouraged in Canada that we actually have legitimate tax savings and tax shelterings that we can do in Canada. We don't have to go offshore. Right. It's just people don't know of these options in trust law.
1: And it's not up to the government to educate us either. is The government likes taking as much of our money as we, we will give them. So it's up to us to know the limitations that we can set rather than having Ottawa do it for us.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, I've never seen Canada Revenue Agency put together a presentation on how to minimize the tax.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: They're not our direct competition, that's, that's for sure. sure. yeah. So, um, you know, one of the blessings we have is we have a great number of tax savings and tax minim- minimizations that we can use in Canada. The first one I always share, and it's great in BC because it's your primary home. Mm-hmm. And your primary home is completely tax-free for both lifetimes of the spouse's. And so even if you go into seniors' care, for example, in your later years, that house continues to grow tax-exempt. And so your children will never pay tax on that home. So I encourage my families not to downsize in retirement, but upsize. Because, you know, we're going to have an asset base that's growing tax-exempt. And then, God forbid, knock on wood, but if you did get sick, you have a very sizable asset to use for elder care. Sure. Tax-free. So, you know, it's a good mechanism uh, to give contemplation to. So I'm the one out there helping and supporting the realtors in the economy.
1: <laughs> well, it's really interesting that you would raise this, Sherry, because of course the other issue that comes along with preserving the family's wealth and, and the home, the, the, uh, the mom and dad, the original household is definitely part of that. But with multiple heirs involved, How do you secure that house to remain in the family going forward and keep the the peace around the Christmas dinner table?
0: Well, it's an excellent question. And if we're a real family, that's a challenge because we have real dynamics and all of us are unique. And then on top of it, we bring in in in-laws into the family, the spouses of everyone. and. Of course, they never have any opinions that would disagree with our family. (laughs) So, you know, you're looking at a number of variables that are going to impact the estate as a whole. So there are some fantastic options that we have as families. And really, we have not yet utilized them fully in Canada, as of yet. And those options are estate planning and trust planning. And we've used them a long, long time in the old world, in England and uh, Europe, But we haven't replicated that work in Canada. However, in the United States, they have. And I was down there recently, and this is just a case study that I think demonstrates the power of how estate planning can impact a family positively. And I was not shopping, but I was shopping at Macy's, and I ordered something with this young girl and she was going to ship it. So I gave her my business card and she was very young, probably 20. And she said, oh, my family has an estate plan and a trust for us. Oh. And she knew about it. And I thought, well, that's quite remarkable yes. being that she's only 20 years old. Um, and so I started, you know, chatting with her a little bit. And the reason for that sterling is it's very interesting because in the old world, in order to keep assets in your family line, in the Mm bloodline, and not lose it to divorce and things of this nature. What they used to do is privatize the estate through trust planning and so that the wealth will remain generationally in the family. Now, of course, the United States follows suit a little more quickly into the European ways, and so they've been doing it for about 250 years. Oh
1: my, okay.
0: So you can see these young people down there already have an awareness, they understand what it is and why it's been put in place. Here in Canada, we're sort of new at it, and so we need this education to see how powerful we can be in preserving our assets for only our family. And that's the point, only the family.
1: Absolutely. Just, as again, as an aside question, Sherry, why the reluctance in Canada? Why are we slow, so slow to catch up with everybody else in this game?
0: Well, I think ultimately two things. I think we're very harmonious by nature. We're not as litigious as the United States. That's so true. That's <laughs> we true. Don't, we don't think of suing each other. It's not our natural form. But I think even more importantly than that is we just have not had yet the wealth that the United States and Europe has had. But it is here now. And I would say in the last 50 years, we've caught up. There's okay. There's many, many millionaires, billionaires in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, we have the need for these tools. And so my general rule of thumb for families is that if you've grown your estate beyond a million or more, you've actually outgrown traditional will planning and you need estate planning and trust planning to ensure that you're mitigating tax and privatizing and protecting that estate appropriately. And, of course, if we do that, then that's where you made mention, Sterling, we can start to protect the harmony in the family where there will be obstacles because we know there will be.
1: Well, and again, part of that uh, potential disharmony, Sherry, is lack of education. So the more everyone around the table is brought up to speed on what the game plan is, the more likely they are to buy in, don't you think?
0: Well, I actually encourage our parents to have a whole family meeting on these topics. And you know I always remain that the parent group needs to have the authority over the plan because it's their estate to determine what to do. Right. But once they have a general idea of what they'd like to do, then what we'll often do is a concept meeting with the family and say, look, this is how we're building it and why we're building it. And if you have any comments, we may consider them as part of the design. So, you know, let us know and share. And it's interesting when we open that dialogue and that kind of conversation, because my observation over the last 20 some years is that it's the sentimental things that pop up in conversation. So, you know, things like our cottages are really, really important to family. Mm -hmm, You're right. We built, you know, memories there and we are attached to them. Family business, of course, if the children have continued and are working in the business, they have a strong opinion about that, and family farm. And then it may sound bizarre, but some of the personal effects can impact an estate dramatically, like a car that dad rebuilt or Mm your university ring even. And so when we understand where people have emotion, and that's the trick is where they have emotion and where they might have a trigger, that's where we actually do need to spend time communicating and figuring out how we'll solve those issues while mom and dad still have authority. Because you don't want to transfer the authority to your children, and then guess what? They're going to have to fight it out. Right. And that's the worst design, in my opinion, possible. But it's a common you know, thought, I'll just write a will. My son can take care of everybody and he can decide. Right. Well, that puts your son in the worst position possible because he's going to be the bad guy no matter what he does. Right. And so you're just setting up a family dynamic of discord. So my encouragement is let's find out where your issues are and find a way to solve them. Whilst we're all here, happy, healthy, and have the ability to be co-creative and find good solutions.
1: Interesting. Now, the moms and dads, the responsibility you place squarely on their shoulders to at least get the, 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 the unit, the family group, to the point where everyone at least has a clear understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. And then, of course, as you already point out, in any family it's pretty much a given, there will be some discord, there will be some discussion, to put it politely, around the whole notion of the the game plan, the will, the trust plan, the estate, and all of that kind of thing. But mom and dad do have a degree of responsibility that if they're going to make this work, that they've really got to push it through without being obnoxious about it. It, right.
0: Well, there's some gentleness that comes along with this and some um, sensitivity, because one of the things that I've learned over the years is when mom and dad are gracious enough to do this planning for their family, it's truly a gift for them. Oh, yeah. However, when we approach the children, the last thing your children want to give contemplation to is your passing. I mean, that's not a topic as a child you want to focus on nor go spend a couple hours on, of course. So there's an awkwardness in society about it in general, and there's also denial. Children will say, well, I don't really care, do what you want, I don't want to know. Yes. And so don't be surprised of those reactions. They're normal.
1: And welcome back to the Thanksgiving weekend edition of Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. Sherry McMillan is on the line from McMillan Estate Planning. And just before we continue our conversation with Sherry, let me remind you of two things. First, the website, an exceptional resource, McMillanEstate.com. All one word, McMillanEstate.com. Next is the new date for the next McMillan Estate Seminar. And that will be Thursday, November 7th at the Marriott Pinnacle Hotel on West Hastings Street in downtown Vancouver. This is the same venue the Macmillan people use for all of their seminars. The newest date is Thursday, November 7th, again at 7 p.m. at the Marriott Pinnacle Hotel on West Hastings in downtown Vancouver. Sherry Macmillan, the CEO, will present the, uh, the story and then we'll take your questions. And I imagine there's even a glass of wine and a piece of cheese available as well. Thursday, November 7th at the Marriott Pinnacle Hotel. And you know those questions and answers, Sherry, that you do and take from the crowd after you've made your presentation, sometimes that can be fun, can't it? It is. And I asked you earlier about some of the priorities Vancouverites have expressed to you in that question and answer segment following your formal presentation. And you said, among other things, Vancouverites really aren't that different from clients and other people I present to all over the world, Asia, Europe, whatever, uh, in terms of their priorities vis-a-vis their families and especially taxes. And so let's start this segment off back where we kind of began in the first place, Sherry, and, and, and relate all of this estate and will planning and awkwardness with our own mortality, to say nothing of our parents, in, and let's put it through the prism of taxation as well.
0: Certainly. I think that lens is well required, especially in Canada today with our high tax tables. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: um, we're, you know, we're really feeling the pinch in Canada, as we all know, And the tax tables have become very great when we're talking about the estate of these calibers. Mm -hmm. So the wonderful thing I wanna share with the population at large is there's a tax opportunity that most of us do not utilize because we aren't aware of it. And it's such a sad thing for me to observe this because so many families can mitigate such a a great portion of their estate tax if they just knew about these opportunities.
1: And again, this is another little gem you're about to, to drop on our laps here that the Canada Revenue Agency wouldn't in a thousand years because that's not what they do. So, Sherry, it's all yours.
0: Okay. So, when you have an estate, there's a handful of tax exemptions you can utilize, and some of them are obvious, things like your primary home. Um, Things like your tax-free savings account, Mm -hmm. uh, your life insurance, your um, uh, small business deduction, and your farm deduction. So all of these are commonplace, and we're aware of them. We all know about them. But what we also generally don't know is there is a section in the Income Tax Act called Maximum Tax Reserve, called MTAR. And in Canada, we're allowed to have up to... 25% 25% of our estate's net worth, so let's say I have a $10 million estate, $2.5 million of my estate is allowed to grow tax-free. Really? Yes.
1: It's, it's kind of a, a ginormous TFSA setup then, isn't it's it? It's
0: a ginormous one. Now, the unique part about it is, obviously, it is a fantastic tool. We can help families deregister their registered programs by utilizing this offset. And so they don't actually end up paying tax on those RSPs and RIFs, which they normally assume they're going to have to. Right. And so when I work with really wealthy families, they say, well, I shouldn't bother anymore because I'm just going to end up paying high tax anyway. Well, maybe not. And so, you know, if we utilize this opportunity, we can certainly mitigate a ton of the tax. Now, the other great part about this is for business owners because business owners have trapped money in their company. So what happens is obviously if they're profitable, well, I wanna tell you since 1980, we've been planning around that as a state planner. So we had the solution prior to this uproar in the community. But what we do is we use the maximum tax reserve and we apply it to the company. And so let's say if you have a $10 million estate, we'll use the 2.5 million limit you're allowed and we'll take the savings in your company and apply it to that. So now you're outside the exemption room again. So, you don't have to leave the country in Canada to have tax exemptions. Mm. There's ways in which we can design it. So, if we look at that same estate, you know, if we've been able to create a tax exemption in your company, your primary home is growing tax-free, and we can deregister your RRSPs and RIFs without paying a lot of tax, you can see all of a sudden you're in a very different financial position for your retirement. Mm -hmm. And so, these are the types of things that families can do proactively And this is not about dying. This is about your life, making sure that that wealth will preserve and protect you, you know, for the decades ahead you have. And as we go back to the discussion around children, when children understand that when you're planning an estate, it's not about the moment of dying. It's about how you're creating wealth so that they inherit wealth and then in turn they create wealth. Mm -hmm nobody doesn't want to come to that kind of meeting.
1: Absolutely. Now, Sherry, talking about the family business, and you've got a lot of experience in this regard, not only just here in Canada, either as we've mentioned in the past, you have clients all over the world, quite literally. What do you do in a situation where mom and dad are determined to organize this uh, this trust and, and, and estate planning uh, and and really get something going on to leave a legacy for generations that follow? And the whole thing is predicated on a successful Family business, that not necessarily all of the family members, the inheritors of all of this, are particularly keen on being part of. when the when the plan is explained to these perhaps reluctant family members, have you noticed many of them changing their thinking on it?
0: I, I certainly have, and I think it's really important when we have a situation where I call fair versus equal in estate planning. So, You know, in general practice, if you're a family that has uh, worked in a company and you have a lot of RSPs and stocks and bonds and one primary home, you just would normally split that customarily amongst your children. Mm. So that's called equal. The problem with family business and family farm is often there is only a couple of the children or one of the children practicing in the business. And the other children have gone off and done their own professional development. Right, sure. So, how do you treat them equally and fair? And so, there's always this kind of debate of what the outcome should be. So, in our own office, uh, our policy is that we interview every child independently of their spouse and parent group, and we do that very deliberately so we can see where the conflicts are going to be. Because if we have the full picture of where everybody's point of view is or in perspective and... By the way, if they're a real family, they're not the same. (laughs) Very true. Then we can find out what the needs are, because it comes down to that. They have a particular expectation and a need. And if we can know what that really is, we can solve it while mom and dad are alive. And then that business can have a very smooth transition to the going concerned children and not be interrupted. So I think, you know, for family businesses, they've done studies on this, the wisdom from the family lead takes 15 years to wealth transfer in the minds of the next generation. And I will tell you that to transfer a family business properly and do an appropriate estate plan with a family traditionally will take us six months to a year because there's so many different meetings we need to hold, regroup, and think about how do we play Monopoly here with all these different points of view. At the end of the day, it's still mom and dad's decision, um, but there's all kinds of wonderful solutions. So, I give you a case study, Sterling, that I helped with years ago. Um, It was a lovely family. Their daughter was a lawyer, and their son was a physician. So they had a very um, professional family, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And they were from Vancouver, and they had developed a great real estate portfolio. And so their daughter, who was a lawyer, wanted to join the business, and she did. And she was working in there for about five or ten years when I met them. And her brother had no interest. He was very socialist and he didn't want anything to do with the family business. Okay. He, you know, he he was he living his own purpose, which is great. So as I got exploring it with the family, mom and dad wanted to fully retire and didn't want anything to do with the business anymore, but wanted to treat the children equally because they had created the business and the daughter was fairly new in the business. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we did an evaluation of the business and in this case the business evaluation came in at around forty million. Oh. Now we did an after tax calculation of if the children each invest or received forty million, how much would they actually receive after taxation? And so let's say it was fifteen million each. Well then what we did is we did an offering to the son and said, we're gonna buy you out of the business at fifteen million in mom and dad's estate and the daughter will take on all the corporate responsibility and all the risk of the business going forward. So here she has a business worth 40 million, sure, and she owes the estate tax on it, but if this particular portfolio crashes and burns, she's out money where her brother gets 15 million. Right. So we debated, does this make sense for each family? And the brother who was socialist said, oh, I just need 10 million, that's plenty. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> and volunteered.
1: What, what a favor to do the family.
0: Yeah, so you know what we ended up doing is for the brother, we gave him the first $10 million and we built for his children a grandchild trust with the extra five. So you can see it's just a matter of sitting down and taking the appropriate amount of time and understanding the summary of facts and the soft issues that are going on in the family. I'm proud to say this lovely lawyer um, has now, with the market crashes in real estate in the United States and the recovery... Her portfolio has gone from 40 million to over 100 million. Oh, good for her! So she took the right gamble, it appears, and her brother, you know, was fine with that because he took none of the risk. It was all on her, and so you know, ultimately, I share this case study with you because had we waited until mom and dad passed, I don't know, we would have got to this positive result.
1: Right, and, and you you've mentioned in the past too that a will, from your perspective, a will is not about death. Quite the opposite, actually.
0: That's right. So, when you're designing your estate, you should actually be thinking about all the decades ahead and the decades in your children's lives and planning that way. Because we just have an interruption at some point where you own your estate, then for a few days you don't because you've passed, and then now your children do again. Mm -hmm. So, instead of focusing on those few days where you're gone and before your children inherit, which is what most people think of when they think of estate planning, we're missing decades and decades and decades of wealth creation and preservation, So I turn it upside down and I only focus on those few days, you know, very little. And ultimately, um, in Vancouver specifically and in BC, we use a lot of trust planning to avoid the legal term probate.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So in, in BC... Um, when you die, you have two systems to get through. You have the tax system to get through before your wealth can transfer to your children, and you have the legal system that your estate has to transfer through to get to your children.
1: And that legal system is called probate, right? And the
0: legal system is called probate. right. So the challenge is when you're looking at an estate, there's a lot of transfer fees in the in BC, let's say 1.4% currently as we speak.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for every million dollars, it's not a small number. That's a high fee. Sure. So if you think about mom and dad and we lose one and we have to transfer, well, that's a big fee. And then we lose mom. Now we transfer again. That's another big fee. So you can see how it just starts amplifying very quickly. Well, we have this fantastic tool that came out 10 years ago, and we use it in BC all of the time. It is called a joint spousal trust, and we're allowed to dump our entire asset base, everything we own, into this holding pot during our lifetime. And lo and behold, it replaces the will because you're the beneficiary of it, and then in turn your children become the beneficiary when you're gone, and we eliminate entirely probate.
1: Oh, and this is all perfectly legal. I gotta, and we've only got a couple of minutes left. And, and this is something I don't know if I've, I've asked you point blank before, but there's so much of this is such a mystery to so many of us. There is a suspicion, an abiding suspicion that somehow or another it's not quite right. It's not quite legal. And is that just found out of ignorance, Sherry? We just don't completely understand this one little bit.
0: Well, you know, there is a saying. Um, Sterling, that the rich don't pay tax. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) The reason they don't is they plan. And, you know, all of us have those same opportunities, but if we don't realize it, uh, we miss these windows of privilege. So, you know, every million dollars matters in how we design it. And these legislations are vanilla. They're nothing unique to any province or country. We've had these tools always. It's just if we don't understand them, uh, we don't employ them. And so, You know, if you only think you can buy a car, you're going to buy a car until you realize you could buy a truck. (laughs) So, you know, at that point, you might decide a truck suits your family better. And so I use that analogy. Most people think the only choice they have is a will